they drew off their canvas sacks with a sigh of relief and tucked them under empty boxes to protect them from the dew the night would bring. Along the creek, some distance away, a young muskrat splashed water on a mudslide he had built and clambered up the bank for one more ride. In the packing shed at the end of the lane, women in faded dresses sipped from bottles of soda and packed one more layer of fruit in orange tissue. The radio played Peg of My Heart. Boys trooped out to pasture to bring in the cows for milking. The day wound down like a tired clock. And Prune watched helplessly as the orchard slowly receded into the distance. He saw the dark line of trees merge with the edge of the horse-heaven hills far away. Dapple plodded on his way, the wagon creaking along behind. The women packed the last few layers of prunes in their tissue coats. The radio began playing, I've got spurs that jingle, jangle, jingle. A weathered post marking the beginning of Eifert's hay meadow momentarily blocked Prune's gaze. When they were past it, he searched again. Homesickness swept over him. The orchard was gone. But for the distant hills, the western sky was empty. Chapter 2 it was an old wagon that carried Prune, with iron-rimmed wheels and hubs and spokes of hickory wood. In its early days the wagon had been painted a beautiful orange color with white and green lines outlining the box and wheels. In those first years it was used for carrying the family to Walla Walla once a week for market day. But those times had long since passed, and one winter Walter, who owned the orchard, and Shorty, who worked for him, removed the painted maple box and substituted a floor of heavy planks. They needed a low, wide, flat wagon bed for hauling boxes in and out of the orchard, and what they built worked just fine. Just fine, that is, until now. The first indication that something was wrong came when Prune felt a jarring shudder beneath him. A wheel was working its way loose from the axle after thirty-seven years of servitude. The splintered planks began to heave and toss as the wheel began its wobbling flight. Prune tried to reach for something to hold on to. But he had no arms or legs. And what was there to grab, anyway? The box he lay in, so solid and secure only seconds before, was itself beginning to shift and slide, and his brothers and sisters were as plump and smooth as himself. Once, when he was still safely fastened to the family tree, Prune had dreamed that he had arms and legs. It had been a wonderful dream in which he was running through the aisles of the orchard past one tree and then another. He had begun to take short hops, and then longer ones, and then longer still until he was, in fact, flying. 
Gradually he had dared to soar higher and higher, until he could gaze down in the tops of the trees themselves, and could see far off over the countryside, where black and white cattle sauntered through lush pastures. Then he had chanced to glance down at his new legs, and had seen that the bones in them were as cracked and fragile as old china platters, and had sensed that his flying days were to be very few. He awoke from that dream with an overwhelming feeling of sadness, and though the day had been a happy one for most of those in the orchard, he had been quiet and withdrawn. "'What's come over you, good old prune?' his sisters teased him. "'Why, you've scarcely moved on your stem all...